Many years ago, when our, when our children were still youngish, we went on holiday to um, northern Spain, to the, to the Pyrenees. Uh, and as we were approaching the Pyrenees in the car, Craig was driving, he uh, spotted a sign to Andorra, and he said, um, oh, would you mind if we just made a detour and we just went to see Andorra? I've always wanted to go to Andorra. I, I was a bit surprised. I said, um, really? He said, yeah, no, yeah, I just, it, we're so close. Look, we, I'll probably never come here again. I just want to see Andorra. I can't say it was a unanimous agreement in the car, obviously. <laughs> the kids in the back, they were quite keen to get where we were going, obviously, not to prolong the agony. But um, Craig was so enthusiastic that we all sort of agreed, OK, OK, we'll go and see Andorra. I was, I was a bit mystified, but anyway, I, is there anyone here from Andorra? That's good. That, <laughs> that's good. Um, so we, we went off towards Andorra on a bit of a detour. That, uh, we were meant to be going east, we were going west. And uh, we queued up at the border. Who knew? Had a border. And in we went. And uh, there were lots of um, signs of the winter ski um, uh, industry. Uh, but this was a summer holiday. Um, so there was nothing much going on there. And as we drove along, Craig drove along and he was looking. And I just picked up this feeling that it wasn't quite what he was expecting. But he con- we continued to drive. He continued to look around. And we found ourselves just keeping going until we, we um, approached Andorra City, the city of Andorra, which was a tightly packed um, city in a, in a little valley. There was nowhere to park. We drove around a few times and then ended up just leaving. Uh, so that was that. That was Andorra. So we, we drove out of Andorra and we drove back onto our route. And I turned to Craig and I said, um, so uh, what... What did you think? Was it, you know, uh, he, just, he seemed a bit non-committal. I said, what, what, are you, what were you expecting to see? And he said, <laughs> he knows I'm going to tell the story. <laughs> he said, um, oh, you know, you know, that book we read. I said, no. He said, you know, that book we read, Driving Over Lemons. So I said, Craig, that was about Andalusia. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he said. <laughs> Okay, so um, to the passage we're meant to be talking about, um, the uh, Marquis set the readings, the, the, the preaching series before Easter about the, um, the beholds of Matthew. And last week, um, I know Ian was talking about uh, when Jesus was baptised by John the Baptist and um, John uh, yeah, baptises him, uh, a voice is heard, it's God's voice from heaven saying, behold, this is my beloved son. I, I wasn't actually in, I was out with the children, but I believe that's what we were talking about and um, after that Jesus goes into the wilderness to be tempted um, he faces temptation by the, by the devil according to Matthew and, um, and then after he's tempted he comes um, and starts his ministry John the Baptist on the other hand he's thrown into jail Herod takes exception to some of his teaching well, this is Herod Antipas, the son of Herod the Great, Herod the Great who tried to murder the baby Jesus, murdered a lot of babies in the meantime. His son wasn't any better. He led quite a life. And John spoke um, openly against Herod. And so not surprisingly, John is thrown in jail. So actually, it wasn't just a week ago. That, that would have been some months or maybe even a year ago. I don't know how much time has elapsed. But we know... Um, that Jesus uh, had started his teaching and preaching. And so our reading from Matthew chapter 11. After Jesus had 
After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who doesn't stumble on account of me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? What did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So it's not clear what John was expecting and why, having baptised Jesus, he, and, uh, he then questions, or he sends a message to Jesus, are you the one? Can we have the first slide, please? Um, it, maybe being in jail didn't help, but we know from the reading that his disciples told him all that Jesus was doing and saying. Maybe John was expecting um, the Messiah to be more of an Elijah figure, someone who would call down fire from heaven and depose Herod, see off the Romans, probably free John from jail, but he's, he's still in prison. It's quite a sad picture, and he's doubting. And we know from what Jesus says to the crowd, they weren't, they weren't necessarily expecting this kind of Messiah either. Jesus sends an answer back to John, and his answer is a quote, probably from Isaiah 35, where he says, what, what do you see? The blind see, the lame walk, the deaf hear. He's quoting back to John so that John will know the prophecy that he's fulfilling. Now in this series of beholds, this one's a bit confusing. Partly, I don't really like behold. It's an old-fashioned word. Who says behold anymore? Um, and in the translations we use, it doesn't show as behold. It just means see. And in this, um, could we go back to, the, back to the reading? Is that a bit tricky? Oh, there it is. Yeah. So um, this is the one about whom it is written. That's where I think the sermon has got a behold title to, to it. But Jesus says it about John. So it's not actually about Jesus. And there's, there's a kind of reason for the way that Jesus answers the question. He doesn't answer by saying, yes, I'm the Messiah. He goes about it slightly sideways in the way Jesus sometimes does and says, John is definitely the prophet to, who's to prepare the way for the Messiah, him. What he, didn't, what he knew would happen if he said openly, yes, I am the Messiah, was he would be thrown into jail probably. And he knew that his time was not yet. But he identifies John as definitely the messenger to prepare the way for the Messiah. So we know that the disciples of John told him what Jesus was doing and saying. Well, what was Jesus saying? What, what would we mostly have heard Jesus saying if we'd been at the back of the crowd that Jesus was teaching? 
he was saying, that, yeah, there he is, <laughs> and the next slide, he was saying, change your life, the kingdom of God is here. He was saying, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, we sometimes get a bit confused about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, are they the same thing? Yes, they are. The kingdom of heaven is not going to heaven when we die. They're both about the place where God reigns, God's realm. It's a bit like when we hear an announcement on the news that says Buckingham Palace has announced that the Queen won't be doing her public duties this week. Or often we hear um, Downing Street has made a statement. We hear that. We don't think the street said something or the building said something. We know that means the Prime Minister, the Crown. And it's the same with this idea of the, the Kingdom of Heaven. Jewish people often said heaven instead of God, so as not to use God's name too much. So Matthew often uses the term the kingdom of heaven, same as the kingdom of God. Now the Jewish people were very familiar with the concept of kingdom and ruling and reigning. It was part of their story. It was part of their scriptures. And the the first time that we hear the idea of ruling and reigning is way back in the creation story of Genesis I must recommend the Bible project to you for, um, for this. They've, they've got some brilliant explanations of the kingdom and the whole story from Genesis. Um, and so as we sang in that song, we've got, have, we have God as a royal artist who speaks a beautiful wor- world into being out of chaos. And he creates a people who he sets over creation to tend it and care for it to make sure it flourishes, to, to work um, in partnership with God, to deputise for him, maybe, um, to care for creation. But humans rebel. They want to do stuff for their own advantage. They want to decide what's good and what's evil. They, they want to set up an alternative kingdom. We sometimes call it, the Bible sometimes calls it the kingdom of this world. So God makes a covenant with Abraham. And again, he forms a people. And they will be his people. And he rescues these people. He rescues them out of Egypt from the kingdom of the evil Pharaoh. He rescues them, crossing the Red Sea. And as they cross the Red Sea, Moses sings, God reigns as king forever and ever. And God gives them the Torah, the instructions of how to live under God's reign. But again, we know they don't really submit. They make a mess of it. They run the nation into the ground. They end up in exile. But all along, the poets and the the prophets, they keep alive the hope that one day, God will take his world back. There'll be an announcement of a new king. God will reign. So for the people listening to Jesus, these stories were alive in their imagination. And Jesus proclaims that the kingdom of God has arrived. It's arrived. It's good news. He says you need to stop and make a decision because God is taking back his world. So Jesus' ministry, up until the chapter that we've just read, he's been proclaiming the kingdom of God has arrived and that it's available for everyone. He's been teaching about what it's like 
And he's been manifesting its presence with events and deeds that couldn't be explained in any natural way. But was this what people were expecting? What kind of kingdom is it? Well, uh, Professor Tom Wright says, if you want to know what it looks like when we come under God's reign, then we should just read the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus' teachings. It's been described as an upside-down kingdom, though maybe Jesus would say it's the right-way-up kingdom, a place where the people who are least important become the most important. Jesus teaches that when we live under God's reign, we respond to evil and hatred with love and forgiveness, and we seek peace. Is this what people were expecting? And Jesus welcomes everyone to be part of this kingdom. Everyone is included. He goes about constantly seeking the excluded people, the outsiders, the down and out. He has special blessing for the people who are at the end of their rope. He wants to include them. He wants to bring hope and health to their lives. It's not just about inclusion. People's lives were completely changed. Sick people in those days, they weren't just physically ill. They were regarded as unclean. They were excluded from society. So when Jesus heals, he doesn't just make them feel physically better. He restores them to community. So Jesus comes proclaiming the kingdom of God. God's reign, with, he proclaims it with power and authority over sin and death. And Jesus doesn't just proclaim the kingdom. He is actually the king. Just as in the Old Testament narratives, there's a king, he forms a people. He goes about saying to random fishermen and tax collectors and their friends, follow me, he says. Learn a new way of living from me. And as uh, Tim McKee of the Bible Project says, well, for those fisher people, uh, this involved a radical reorganization of their life goals as they followed him and found a completely new way of living. And we know that Jesus' message turns out to be so radical that he makes enemies of the people who are in power, particularly the religious leaders. Jesus' message to them was dangerous. It was threatening to the status quo, which they were so invested in. And so we know that Jesus is arrested and ultimately he's killed. In being killed, he's crowned, interestingly, with a crown of thorns and it's written above his cross that he's the king of the Jews. But by his death, he faces down evil with his sacrificial love. And then he defeats death itself as God raises him from the dead. Hooray! (laughs) Is this what people were expecting? I don't think it was. So God is reclaiming his world in Jesus. He's forming a people who will live under the reign of the king in a kingdom of justice and mercy. Tom Wright again says that because of Easter, because of the resurrection, we now know what our ultimate future will be. It's not just that we'll be plodding on following Jesus until the day we die. No, our ultimate future is that we will be raised to a new life on God's restored earth, God's restored world, a world of beauty and justice and freedom and life. Because when we look again at the passage that uh, that we read, Jesus sends this message back to John in prison, 
quoting from Isaiah 35. Remember, the, uh, the eyes of the blind are opened. That poem goes on. Uh, the desert and the parched lands will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. So it's about the good news of the restoration of this earth. And our future isn't just that we'll live on this beautiful, restored world. We'll be running it on God's behalf. We'll be God's stewards. We'll be, we'll be ruling it with his love. And Wright points out that as, as kingdom people, as resurrection people, we're called to have resurrection habits. We're called to anticipate our future vocation in the now. We're called to look after God's creation, to look after the world on God's behalf, to be stewards who work for justice and for the health and flourishing of the whole planet and everybody on it. That's our vocation when we come under the reign of God. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) So... Stepping into this kingdom and living there is a radically different way of life. Jesus summons us to a whole new way of being human, of living lightly, as we lay down everything of our own life to follow him. Jesus says that we need to be like children to enter the kingdom of God. That's a, that's, that's a funny thing, isn't it? What does that mean? Well, um, <laughs> Dallas Willard, uh, who I really like reading about, he, he suggests that it's a little bit like when children uh, see maybe a fireman or um, a ballet dancer, um, or like um, our son, uh, it was trains, an engine driver. They, they just say, I want to be that, I am going to be that. Um, in fact, when James was really young, it was, he was going to be the engine. <laughs> Cut out the middleman. <laughs> And as adults, we listen to that and we think, oh, I expect he'll change his mind, or maybe the hours wouldn't suit him, or whatever. But children, they're so immediate. They have that, um, that enthusiasm and that um, immediate enthusiasm. They, they look at Jesus, I want to be like him. And maybe that's what it means to become like a child. And Jesus also teaches that we must seek first the kingdom. Seek it above all else. And sometimes you think, as for, if, we've followed, as if we are followers of Jesus, we think, well, we've found the kingdom now, so we don't have to carry on looking. But no, we need to be constantly seeking, looking for what God is doing in our area, and identify with it, and join in with it. Seek God in action, God reigning. So I've been really thinking about this for the last few weeks, about... Um, ex- what we're expecting and, and seeking and what we, what, what we see happening. So I've been asking people a little bit about where they've spotted the kingdom. Because sometimes for me, it's a little bit like um, bird watching. Oh, my kids think I'm very boring. Uh, <laughs> but the, I don't know. I mean, you don't have to be a, a bird watcher. Uh, but the, the, anyone had that experience where you're on a riverbank, you're near a river, and you just see this electric blue flash, and it just flashes, and you just think... I saw a kingfisher. <laughs> and it's sort of just a moment of realisation. So I've been, I've been asking people for when they um, spotted the kingdom recently. And um, 
One person said, well, actually, it was the, at the Epiphany meal, the, the meal, evening meal that we shared together in January, where we were all together and, and we all ate together. And people brought friends who, we, who hadn't met us before, but they were included and they felt part of it. And that, that person said, I really felt that that was a moment, that was a kingdom moment. Another person said about... Um, uh, our home group has been praying for a friend of theirs and uh, she went in to visit him and he was up walking in, in a way she, she just hadn't expected that and it just felt like that was the kingdom that we'd, we'd, we'd taken on praying for him. Um, and James said to me, uh, she was talking to me this morning about at Noah's Ark, the tiny children who've been taught about Jesus and how they take on what, what they've heard in a, in a lovely way and they, they practice um, the way of Jesus in the way they're kind to each other and they share and they talk about Jesus in a natural way they're just at that point where they're realising that Jesus isn't a baby anymore and that he's grown up and she overheard them talking about yes, and uh, yes he's growing up now and he's becoming a lovely man and he can do amazing things he can do handstands one of them said <laughs> and this is just a moment of the kingdom and for me recently, a friend described to me how he had um, been struggling with a life of addiction and involved in violence. And as he was, um, as he was trying to um, uh, withdraw from that, he was extremely isolated. And he told of how um, uh, people from a church had got alongside him and supported him. And uh, now not only is he doing really well in his recovery, he's part of a community. He's not lonely anymore. And when I heard that, I was so moved at the feeling of the the recognition that this is God's kingdom. This is what God's kingdom is like. I want to be part of that. So what's what's it like to live as part of God's kingdom? To follow Jesus. What are we expecting? Well, I, I, I was thinking about this and I just thought about a few years ago I went to see a film, a very well-known film, a Jane Austen movie called, um, actually she wrote a book obviously, not a movie, um, <laughs> Sense and Sensibility. Um, it was directed by Ang Lee, a, a, lovely, a lovely film um, and I um, was there with my friend and uh, when the film got to the end and you just have that moment where you think, oh that was great. Um, I heard the woman in the row behind me say, she said, apologies to anyone from the north of England, but what she said was, ooh, that were a lovely sit down. <laughs> and I thought, well, I wonder what Ang Lee would think of that as a, uh, <laughs> a review of his film. <laughs> and as it happened, a few days after that, I was here um, listening to a sermon. I, f- I forget who was preaching the sermon, but it was one of those really challenging sermons about going out and spreading the gospel and do this and do that. It was quite arousing, actually. But at the end of it, I turned to my friend, um, who isn't here today, and uh, I said to her, well, I probably just looked at her with my eyebrows raised, and she went, oh, I feel like I need to lie down after that. We have the next slide, please. (laughs) Not really relevant, anyway. So what are we expecting of uh, of, uh, living under the reign of God, being part of God's kingdom, following Jesus? Are we expecting a lovely sit-down, or are we expecting to end up in that state? Well, actually, as we, as we move towards the end of chapter 11, um, after Jesus has um, he sent the message back to John, he's identified who John is, he's sounded quite uh, impatient with the crowd for just, they, they don't like John, they don't like him, they don't believe. He actually finishes with these words. 
Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I love those words. They're they're so familiar to me. But I I have to confess that there have been times where I've read them and I thought, oh, I'm following Jesus and uh, it doesn't feel like it's a rest and I must be doing something wrong. I felt an extra burden in a way. Well, I'm not going to say much about this because I don't think I'm the person to to say it and and we're, we're running out of time. But I know that Craig has been reading a book recently, and I think other people probably here have, that um, he would definitely recommend. It's by John Mark Homer, and it's called The Ruthless, that's it, the Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Uh, and I realise it might be a bit relevant to this. A couple of weeks ago, as I was preparing, and I did think about speed reading it, but then I thought that might be ironic, given the title. <laughs> But I did have a little look at the chapter that he has on the easy yoke. And I also read a little bit um, that Dallas Willard writes about this a lot. The people that um, Jesus was talking to, they were certainly burdened. Not only were they living with the indignity um, of the um, Roman uh, occupation, but they were terribly burdened by the way the religious leaders used the law as a way of keeping power. So for ordinary people, they, were, they probably were very burdened. But it's not what you would think. Is it's not what you'd expect that Jesus would offer to people who are weary. The yoke. I've got a picture of a yoke here. It's a work instrument. You might expect that Jesus would offer a holiday. But what he talks about is equipment. So... It's suggesting that it's about adopting the lifestyle and the practices of Jesus, uh, adopting a lifestyle of obedience to his way, working shoulder to shoulder with him, with Jesus doing the heavy lifting. In those days, when rabbis like Jesus called young men to follow them and to learn from them, their teaching was sometimes referred to as a yoke. But for us, perhaps, uh, when we think about being disciples of Jesus, perhaps the perhaps the word apprentice is easiest for us to understand um, that we're called to be apprentices of Jesus to be an apprentice of Jesus we need to be with him listen to him learn from him watch what he does become like him copy him model our life on him if we want to follow Jesus we need to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus So as we read through what Jesus was saying and doing, we see certain regular practices of prayer and solitude and Sabbath, for instance, of um, simple living. This is the way of Jesus. So Jesus is not offering us escape, but a new way to carry life, a fresh way to bear responsibility. In his Sermon on the Mount teaching, he shows us a better way of being human, a way of living lightly, A way that probably offers more rest than the way we live our own lives left to ourselves. And Dallas Willard says that this is about laying aside our projects and taking up God's projects, which are a lighter burden 
And this is because when we take up God's projects, when we join in with what we see God's doing, those projects shouldn't become our projects. Do you see what I mean? We're joining in God's project. It's still God's project. We don't take it on as our project. It means we don't carry the pressure. We don't need to carry the burden of the outcome. This is God's work. It's his kingdom, not ours. And so let's finish by reading, um, reading that, that verse, those verses again. I'll read them again, but in, a, in, a, in the message, in a more modern paraphrase. So if you, just in the quietness, just let Jesus speak to you. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. And so let's pray together. If you, if you can and you feel comfortable, lift up your hands in a sim, as a symbol of surrender. Say, Jesus, I want to come under your reign. My life is not about me. I want to surrender it to you. Show us your way. Give us what we need. Pour into our lives all the resources of heaven. Let's hold out our hands as a symbol of generosity. What we have is not ours. We're only stewards of all that you have given us. We want to be part of your kingdom, to live in an open-handed way. Let's hold out our arms as a symbol of mission. We want to live for something greater than us. We want to live for your kingdom. We want to embrace your kingdom mission. Show us what you're doing. Show us the people you're reaching. We want to welcome the lost, the last, the least and the lonely. We want to say to them, come, come home. Amen.